Say that the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. The caffeine is starting to wear off. That is the title of a memoir, if ever I heard one. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I feel chipper, alert, and great. <laughs> that's just a lie. <laughs> yeah, it's all that's false. Also joining us via the Magic of the Interwebs from Christ Community Church, one of the pastors there, Lee Younger. I need ibuprofen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We all did, have. Did you needs. need that before we started the recording process, or was that a? Uh, Ever since a we started making this. this show, I've just needed like a constant drip. Yeah, I can right. hear that. I can totally relate to that. Okay, we 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 often start off the show with an emergency. We're gonna skip that. This well, time. occasionally, sure, uh, maybe one in sure. One, one in one times. Yeah, yeah. If something comes up that you know demands an emergency level response, obviously. Sure. sure. I mean, well, otherwise, here, right to the wisdom. Here's the here's the thing about the emergency. And People have I, real questions, and they deserve to get uh, real, real answers. Sure, that's close. Whatever, one of those. It's closer than I thought it was going to be. There you go. I, I would make fun of you, but I almost screw, I screwed up Lee's intro and did it in the wrong order. I did. So. It's Christ Community Church. He's a pastor there, Lee Younger. So, you know, we're all, we're all sleep-deprived and tired, so what are you going to do? One of the things we, we sometimes forget, I, I will take onus on myself as the host for this, is um, turns out people, sometimes people tune in for the first time. Right. Ah. Which confuses me because I can't listen to this. Yeah, why, no, why would yeah. you? Pretty scandalized. No. But <laughs> apparently people like it. People tell their friends. People share a Tumblr link or a tweet or whatnot, and some people tune in. And we've, we've hopefully, we've had a little uptake in that. Last episode, we had Sandra McCracken did an interview, and she told some of her people. This week, hang out, we've got an interview with uh, Randall Goodgame, who's a really cool musician who does some awesome children's music. So if you uh, are someone who either does worship or children's ministry, really any kind of ministry, he's got some really cool thoughts. We're going to share that with you later. But so we do these things, and the people come in, and sometimes they're not fully versed in the emergency concept. Right. Which you would just think, well, surely they can pick it up. Joel Osteen has robot cyborgs from the future. Right. Obviously. You have to fight him with merch. Yes. Right. Sometimes Easily. animals wear the merch. Yes. That, what part of that needs explaining? Apparently, a lot of it. We got <laughs> a message in to the Tumblr. Okay. BridgeChicago.tumblr.com. You can ask a question there. doesn't have to be a serious question. Sometimes you can just ask a version of... So what would you say you guys are doing? Yeah, what is wrong with is? you? What is and wrong with you? That is a perfectly valid question. Absolutely. Right. We get this anonymous question in word for word. It says, I don't really understand the whole emergency concept. Right. I listened to some podcasts and got lost around the part where a guy approaches a girl and says, emergency off. Mm. Then, and I want to really do the, uh, give the performance here to, really bring home the number of exclamation points after this statement. What do the bracelets mean? Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. So there, this person That's is referring question. to, it absolutely is. This was uh, dozens of episodes. Yeah. This was like a few months, almost a year ago. Now we had some, 
some little rubber kind of live strong style bracelets made up just for some merch. If you'd like to subscribe to Bridgebox in the month of December, you can have some if you'd Woo! like. You got leftover merch. Woo! But you know, we had some orange ones that said orange ones that said emer- say that emergency. Yes. And some nice soothing blue ones. Yes. Said emergency off. Right. So as you do to tell people about the bracelets, Glenn and Jed constructed an elaborate code system where guys and girls would see each other in the world and the bracelets would be a secret language. So, you know, you're super down and super cool because you listen to the say that podcast. Sure. And instead of introducing yourself with a name or getting to know someone or being a normal person, Glenn and Jed decided you could walk up to a young lady and just say emergency off. (laughs) Yes. And then it would be as they as the Greeks used to say. On like Donkey Kong. Uh, right. <laughs> but this person right. is a bit confused about right. what the emergency is. And Glenn, as the innovator of the emergency, why don't you try well, to explain it to the Yeah, people? people, you know, they need a guide to the show, really. Um, a Sherpa? Uh, an emergency <laughs> is when something unexpected happens. Right. And you want people to pay, pay special attention to it. Sure, absolutely. You don't want people to spay anything. We're not doing those emergencies. No. Uh, That's a Bob Barker emergency. <laughs> wow. Well played. So, sometimes uh, people say, now when you say emergency, what do you mean? That's what we mean. It's something that has come up. Right. That we want to pay special attention we to. We wanted to get straight to the answering of the questions and giving the spiritual right. wisdom. But sometimes there's an emergency we have to cover. Right. Okay. So that's what's going on. Now, for example, what kinds of emergencies are likely to come up? Well, again, if you're unfamiliar with the show, we have a vicious feud going on with Joel Osteen. And by vicious, you mean entirely one-sided. That's correct. He's not technically aware of it, but isn't that the worst kind of hurt when you just ignore exactly. a feud? And I, po- I want exactly to point true. out, I want to be very clear, we don't, we're not... Feuding with uh, Mr. Osteen based on his uh, theology, no, or is we don't know it. It's his popularity that we're yeah, jealous. We, of. we're not we're not mad about the, the sermons. We haven't heard them. The books we haven't read them. Right. Really, the only thing we know about Joel Osteen is he is number one in the iTunes Christian podcast charts, and we want that spot. Yes, yeah, we are gunning <laughs> for that number one. We're spot. looking for the sweet, 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 sweet podcast numbers. So what you need to do is start telling everyone you know to listen to this show immediately. Leave a yes. review. Leave a review. And it is almost certain that we will eventually achieve said podcast glory, Yeah, which is why Pastor Osteen has created killer robot cyborgs to come back in time and damage our equipment and mess up our files occasionally. This is a, this is a science fact, okay? And when that happens, it's an emergency. It's... that. Okay, what else would you call it? You know what I mean? <laughs> time-traveling cyborgs being sent, being sent back in time by Joel Osteen to stop us from becoming the most popular Christian podcast and taking over his empire. So we have to deal with that. Now, other things that, you know, and, and I'll let Jed, you know, uh, explain some other elements of this, but one of the things that comes up a lot is people are listening to this show for example, while drinking milk. Sure, absolutely. That's going to shoot right at your nose, you know what yeah. I mean? Because of the amazing wisdom sure. that happens. So there's the safety tips subsection. We of have sa- a lot of safety tips. For example, um, 
I visited London and I, you know, I talked to some of the people there. They say they they ride the tube, which is not a tube. It's a train that goes underground. Well, the train's in a tube. Okay. So what happens is they listen to podcasts on the headphones and they laugh and people think they're, that they're crazy. Sure. So what I try to explain is when you have an emergency that we declare on the podcast, when you're on the train, you yell emergency to the train. And that way they will stay tuned to you for further developments as to what the nature of the emergency is. And so that's what we expect from you. When we declare emergency, when you're listening to the podcast, you yell out emergency. Please don't do that, people. Yeah, that's a bad idea. And then, Especially not in a crowded train. And then everybody, you know, will, you know, you'll clue them in. I imagine, and this would be an emergency in and of itself, I don't. I've never visited the United Kingdom. I would like to. I don't. I don't. I've met met some British people, obviously. But my my perception of the British idea of politeness is that if you yelled out in the middle of a crowded train, you would immediately just combust with awkwardness. Yeah. yeah. That amount of attention right. being pointed at you. So there is a safety emergency. A right. Joel Osteen time traveling cyborg related emergency. Jed, maybe you can walk us through the subsection of. We can't believe Christians did this emergency. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes um, you, for example, uh, do a show, a skating show on ice, um, and you do it to the music of Mercy Me. Um, Right. Because why not? That is an emergency. If we don't talk about that, who will, Matt? Sure. Who will? That's just the kind of uh, just courageous journalists Right. That we are. Well, to go we back like to, to one of my, my favorite emergencies, sometimes a group of Christians say, I like church. Right. I like mixed martial arts. <laughs> right. Maybe we could combine those two things and make a documentary called Fight Church. Right. right. And then we could put a clip on the YouTubes. I'm not sure if we talked about this in the podcast. I want to be sure I'm not making this up. There's a clip from Fight Church on the YouTubes that is a kickboxing match ending the simultaneous <laughs> knee to the groin. <laughs> Two yeah. guys knee each other in the pills at the same time and, and both go down both for the count. And that's the for kind. Jesus. Yes. Dude, that's, okay. that's, just, that's, just, that's just iron sharpening iron. That's in the Bible. And that right. is an emergency that we need to share with the people. We have Absolutely. To, we have to talk about I want Lee to close us out by talking about the most important kind of emergency, the most critical kind of emergency. And that is a baked goods emergency. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there, I will do that, but you have left an entire subsection of emergencies off of the table, Matthew, which has to do with you being single still. Hello. Yeah, Hello. that is an emergency. That's and you know what? On disagree. the basis of that, I declare right now, what? Emergency. Emergency. It's on. It just Look, happened. Oh here's, the, here's the thing. Now, we do have a special guest today, and that's... And we and we're super fired up about that because Randall Good right. Game is awesome. We've been fan, just fans of his music, fans of him as a person. But special guest, you got to step to the side for a second. Somehow, 2014 is almost over. Matt King is still single. Yeah, what yeah. On it earth? took a lot of effort, but I did it, fellas. <laughs> just just look at that beard. That's the right like, attitude, right? That's what you guys are driving at. No. Just, just look I at that be beard rewarded? for a second. Yeah. I mean, just fix your eyes it's on it. It's a strong beard. That's a beard that needs to be tamed. Period. 
That wow. That yeah. is a beard that needs a feminine touch to come oh, in mm. and just you know just nurture it. It's, it's a, a very beard worrisome that... sentence. Both the constituent parts <laughs> and the order in which you decided <laughs> to put those it, words. It's as simple as this. This the, the beard we're talking about here. Has been roaming free for too long, like a wild stallion. I just pictured, okay. I just pictured, like in the classic Wizard of Oz, how the you know the cowardly lion has like the little the little bow, right on the mane. Matt needs right. to have that beard tamed. Yes, he yeah. does. Matt needs a tiny red bow on that. Beard. Here's what I'm saying, though. Hey, Matt- you haven't seen my Christmas outfit. <laughs> how do you know that's not happening? <laughs> Look, ladies, ladies, Matt King. He is a kind man. Mm, he is accurate. He is a good man. Mm-hmm. Couldn't he's, be further from the truth. He's six feet tall. Mm-hmm. He That's is a, the first truthful thing you've he said. He is a black belt in martial arts of some sort. Mm. Been a long time. He is a missionary. He loves Jesus. Totally. Mm. Long walks in the rain. What are we waiting on, ladies? Dancing. Horses. Dancing horses. Movies about feelings. This is what... He's the total package, ladies. Period. That's what we're trying to say. Ah, Matt can quote Shakespeare right now. On command. Come on. I can. I'm not going to because you guys don't deserve it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to move on. Here, here's what Keep I'm it saying. short. The, the, you the, hung me out to dry. We're, we're ra- I'm hoist by my own petard. <laughs> I can't stop it. <laughs> here's what I'm saying. Last thing you absolutely need to know about this podcast other than we're fueled by the baked goods that are sent in to us true the last thing that you need to understand and this is probably the most complicated thing we record this <laughs> not when you're listening to it like know, we you're time listening for to it. and on that basis i declare emergency, emergency off. off well you should um to give you a an genuine answer to your question which is so not what the emergency is about um we're there's gonna be a little bit of talk on this show we've got a question coming up and a little bit of what i talked about with randall is about kind of ministry theory and why people do exactly the things the way they do for their audience and one of the things on this podcast really one of the reasons we do the emergency we kind of goof around up top is we like the idea of getting some laughs out for ourselves we want to relax we want to come into that and we want that for you guys too we want especially for new listeners we want to set that tone of we're not we are we take our walk seriously we don't take ourselves seriously we're not going to be freaked out by your problems we're not judging on anybody so we act kind of goofy up top and it's a lot of so just to give you a little peek behind the curtain we're trying to just set a tone of we're all in this together. We're all goofing around. We're all going to take a look at it. That's ex- exactly what Lee tries to do in his Bible study with high school kids. That's what we try to do at the bridge is a lot of ministry stuff. You start out by a, kind of what Glenn would call defanging. We all came into this stuff, trying to set this tone of we're all going to have a good time. We're all going to do the cool thing. All right. Also, it's not too late to jump on Bridgebox, missionusa.com yeah. slash Bridgebox. The Lee Younger version, MissionSA.com slash BBLY, $8 a month. You go, you sign up, you get sermons, songs, Bible studies, devotionals written by guest experts, lots of cool stuff. December's topic is, what does it mean for God to give me a gift? we got a lot of good stuff on that. And if you sign up in the month of December, you get the Bridgebox Christmas EP. And if you'd like, you can choose a piece of our pre-existing merchandise that is t-shirts that is uh the bands we talked about that is 
uh, skull caps, beanies that we buttons. may even have a button, few buttons left over. I got some, uh, our friend Sarah in Toronto asked for buttons, maybe better part of a month ago and they're on their way. I promise. <laughs> the post office is a terrible place this time of year. And I just haven't motivated myself to do it yet, but all that is part of bridge box. So if you've been wanting to sign up, there's no better time. All right. We're moving our first question here. This came in to our email address. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I will give you some places you get in touch with this. This came in from our friend, Josh. It says, so I've been caught up on this verse that I came across recently. It doesn't quite gel with the conception of God that I have. Verses Proverbs 126. It says that wisdom laughs at the calamity of the foolish and mocks their terror. If God is wise and I'm supposed to pursue the image of wisdom, am I supposed to laugh at the negative consequences of foolish people's choices? I understand that in context it's saying that wisdom or God laughs at the foolishness of calling him out or rejecting good advice and reproof. That is a word I was unaware was a word, but Spellcheck liked it, so well done, Josh. But still, the laughing at the calamity of people seems a bit harsh. There are actually a couple of places in his, with this imagery, like Psalm 2-4, where God laughs with derision and then punishes people heavenly, heavily. How am I supposed to read this? Jed, can you start us off? I can, and Josh, we really appreciate you writing and appreciate the question a lot, man. I think the first thing I would say to you is that it's okay to file pieces of the Bible under, I'm not sure I fully grasp what this is saying, yeah. and I'm not really sure how to integrate it with everything else just yet. That's allowed. That's a, that's okay. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the crux of the gospel. You will never read anything in the Bible that contradicts that, mm -hmm. um, that, that is, makes that not true. But it's okay to read things in the Bible and say, I'm not sure how that fits in. Um, and I don't have an answer for that, and I'm going to file that away for the future. That's okay. That's not a problem. Part of the reason it's not a problem is that I can tell you I'm not a Bible expert. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm just a dude. But I can tell you that... There are certain things in the Bible that I read at one point in my life and they made no sense to me. And then I got a little bit of life experience and they made a lot more sense to me. Right. I'll give you an example that's not the one that you brought up. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Okay, well, I think it would be hard to say that Jesus is saying in a literal sense, God will take an inventory of all the specific things you haven't forgiven other people. And then we'll fail to forgive you that same percentage of your sins. That That's not what Jesus is saying. And anyone who can, who claims they can tell you 100% what Jesus is saying, you want to be a little skeptical of. But from my own life, I can suggest one thing I think Jesus is implying there. He's saying, when you refuse to forgive other people, it creates a mistrusting spirit in your heart that makes it hard for you to accept forgiveness from God and others. Yeah. In other words, if you cheat on your girlfriend, you think she's cheating on you, whether she is or not. Yeah. That just creates a space in your heart where you see evil everywhere you go. When you refuse to forgive other people, you're not really looking to accept forgiveness for yourself. It's just that's the way that life works. Okay, let's come back to the verse that you brought up. It sounds really tough. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult thing. I looked it up in a translation called The Voice, which is a really super cool translation that Glenn turned me on to. And one of the things it talks about is it uses the phrase, again, wisdom speaking, you will hear my voice mocking you in those moments. All right. Here's, again, from life experience, here's part of what that may be pointing to. 
people, when you try and give people good wisdom and good advice and then they don't heed it, they will hear you calling them a failure in their brain even though you have not. I'll tell you a story about this. I had a guy uh, that I was doing some work with several years ago and, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of counseling work, a lot of discipleship work. And at a certain point, he decided I'm going to do my own thing my own way. And it went spectacularly not well. I mean, it really is. His life kind of fell apart. And he later made the comment, you know, I just hear Jed's voice in my head telling me I'm a loser. Jed, have you ever said the words, you're a loser to this person? I have never said those words to anyone Mm -hmm. on planet Earth. Uh, Actually, if you're joining us for the first time, um, all of us work in prison ministry. Our our day job is to hear the worst things you can possibly imagine and say, well, that makes sense. I I hear that. Uh, Well, let's, you know, let's, there's no problem. Let's work it through. I have never called anyone a loser. I've never implied that anyone is a loser and I never would. In fact, in a different conversation with the same person, he said, I know you're going to say, I told you so, but here's what happened. And I paused and I said, why, why would I say, I told you so? He said, well, I mean, you wouldn't, but. But I would if the roles were reversed. Exactly right. (laughs) The the little jet in my head is a total jerk. Exactly. And that's (laughs) the thing. The Jed in my head. That is the elf on the shelf for a new generation. Wow, dude, you, st- you took that out of my mouth. <laughs> Gotta be quick, younger. People, when you try and give them wisdom and they don't follow it, they hear your voice in their head telling them they're a loser even though you haven't. Yeah. That's, just, that's just a fact of life. That's just the way that works. Is that everything that the Bible is saying in Proverbs 126? I have no idea. But I think it's part of what the Bible is saying in Proverbs 126 is when you reject wisdom, you feel like that wisdom is condemning you later, whether it actually is or not. But in order to get to that place, we have to be able to relax and say, I don't understand all of it today. That's okay. We can keep that on the shelf. I know the Lord will help me to understand it as I move along. That's absolutely right. I think Jed starts the very sharp point about kind of not allowing one little verse to cancel out everything you know about Scripture. Context is really one of the most important things about understanding the Bible, and that context starts with the character of God, as we talk about a lot, right, Lee? Absolutely. I mean, I I love the way that Jed started out that answer, and and one thing that you've got to do in all of these things that you don't understand, when, when you do come across something you don't understand, take a step back and say, but what do I know? What, what do I actually know here? And, and specifically in this, in this context, what do I know about the character of God? Well, in other words, what kind of a dude is God? Is he a jerk? Or is he compassionate? Is he, is he uh, gracious? Has he been sacrificial in his pursuit of my heart that doesn't even deserve the all the attention and all the love that he's given me when you ste- when you take a step back and you say i don't understand what this little thing is saying but overwhelmingly from everything else i know about god his heart is amazing and his heart is for me and he's yeah he's run me down after I've been such an idiot. I can tell you from another perspective, I'm like Jed. I don't know exactly what this verse is talking about, but uh, can we, can we take a light hand on this for a second and, and just kind of, you know, as a couple of dudes ask the question to each other, have you ever done something really stupid? And then about six months later, looked back and told that story to some of your friends and it was the funniest story ever. Sure. I mean, you know, what's really interesting about this is, you know, I've got three little kids and my son hates wearing his raincoat. He hates it. Okay. He just hates that Mm -hmm. thing. And if you tell him to put it on, he refuses to wear the hood. 
and you're like, the hood is the whole raincoat, my man. Like, that's, look, it's a fine, it's a great little coat. Put the coat on, it's going to help you. And, uh, you know, uh, and there's so many times that we, you know, leave the house to go to school or something like that. And I've got a, I've got a little machine in my pocket that has an application that tells me what the weather radar is going to be. And I'm like, dude, it is going to be raining in about 30 minutes. So I want you to grab your raincoat. And my son, who is adorable and wonderful and beautiful, he's a beautiful child, he walks out on the porch and he looks up in that sky and he says, I don't think it's going to rain, dude. And I'm like, (laughs) it is. Okay, my man. Well, I'm just telling you, why don't you go ahead and grab that raincoat? And he's like, nah, I'm good. And so I'm like, (laughs) all right. So we go to the store. We do the whole trip at the store. We come out of the store and head back to the parking lot, you know, with the groceries or whatever. And I mean, it's cats and dogs on this dude. And he is like, he is whining about it. And I got rain all over my face, man. It's coming down to my eyes. And it's just all over me. And I'm like, dude, if you want me to feel sorry for you right now, you are yeah. talking to the wrong dude. You yeah. know? And then, and then my middle kid will be like, should have listened to dad when he told you to grab that raincoat, dog. You know, and it's like, there it is right there, you know, and it's like, and, and I'm not looking at the guy and saying, you know, it, it's not the funniest thing in the world. I'm not just pointing at him and laughing at him like the full, you know, ha ha. It's not that deal. It's just one of those things where it's like, hey, man, maybe next time listen to your old man when he tells you to grab the raincoat. Yeah. You know, I'm lighthearted about it. It's not a big deal. But I, I think we we can all kind of, number one, remember who God is, just the character of God. And then number two, we're, I think when this life is over, we're all going to look back on it. It's going to be a lot funnier than we thought it was going to be when we when we take a, a, take a look back at it. That was a really cool thought, Glenn. Yeah, I think um, um, – uh, I, I know you loved the uh, philosophy class you probably just finished taking. Sure. Ooh. Uh, and uh, it's it's what we've got is you know Nietzsche says from chaos comes order. Yes. That it it's you know if A equals B and B equals C then by the transitive property <laughs> that means that God is this and yeah. Um, I thought that was going to start out math beat poetry right. By, yeah. By yeah. The no, no. No. Here's the thing. Uh, it. First of all, this in Proverbs, it, it's it's talking, it's sort of anthropomorphizing wisdom, uh, and saying wisdom laughs and wisdom you know right. mocks and so on and so forth. Um, anthropomorphizing means like when someone has a superpower and they can change into like the shape of a boat. Yeah, um, <laughs> Boatman is a really underrated, but he is getting a Marvel movie in twenty twenty two. You know what? Because he's he's out there sailing the seas. Dude, but the, Kevin Smith's run on Boatman was transcendent. Okay. I don't care what anybody says. It's a little sweary, but I feel he really got to the essence of the character. So what happens is we have you know we're, we're sort of making it as if wisdom was a person and saying wisdom is is mocking and laughing you. Uh, but somehow we've taken that and say. Well, that's what wisdom is doing, and then God is wise, and then I'm supposed to be like God, so and have wisdom. So that means should I be mocking people? Yeah. And then hold, 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 hold up, for, back back up a few steps. Uh, you've drawn some connections that don't go here. Uh, for example, God says, uh, "You know, vengeance is mine; I will repay. It's not for you to repay." Yeah. You can't look at that and say, "Well, I'm trying to be like God, so I'll be vengeful." Yeah, no, he, that's he, that's his thing. He, that's his thing. Um, so, uh, being imitators of God doesn't mean 
uh, taking every aspect of what he's doing and saying and saying, it's, uh, I, I'm going to assume God's role in that. That, that doesn't work. Uh, so I, th- I think that's part of the problem here is um, we're, we're sort of uh, uh, taking these things and sort of applying them in uh, sort of this transitive way. For example, you mentioned Psalm 2-4. Um, this is a prophetic verse where it's talking about people, uh, obviously this is before Jesus was born, but sort of prophesying people plotting on the Messiah, you know, plotting on Jesus and what, and then how they're going to try and shut down what the, well, you know, obviously the, the point of that is that it's a laughable thing that you could stop something God is doing right. with your little plot and your little crucifixion and your whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to stamp something out and there was no way 2000 years later, we still follow that man, and so we. It's easy enough for us to say that's a laughable thing. Yeah. That whatever. But but. Um, uh, and not to cut you off, Glenn. Yeah. That's actually he references Psalm two four. That's what's going on there. Right. It's not that someone's making a dumb decision and God laughs at them and mocks them. David is saying, "You've told me I'm going to be king. There are people trying to stop that from happening. Right. Here is the response to that." Yeah, so I think yeah, that's there. There has to be a sense of God is not calling me to be a jerk. Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. One of the things that kind of goes on on this is you have to not be looking for an excuse to do things. And part of what that means, I mean, here is um, as Glenn was saying out. There are some things the Bible is very clear and says in very short, declarative, very clearly instructional sentences. Love your neighbor. Yep. Feed the poor. Pray without ceasing. Clothe the naked. Pray without ceasing. Start with those, yeah. and then fill in the gaps from other stuff. It, it, yeah. it, as we start, kind of start out with, if you say, "Well, here's what you know," as Glenn was saying, you're making those connections of here's what wisdom does, and God is wise, and we should be like God, and you come up with this whole kind of making this very complicated, which a certain ver- level of seminarian white Christian really likes to do gymnastics. To be able to, you know, yeah, to kind of find the secret. You know, you're looking for the side door when the front door is thrown open saying, here's what you should do. So it's and that's part of what we talk about on the show of if you're serving people, if you're kind of pursuing, start with simple and then let things gain depth. Yeah. You can't just jump right to complicated and assume that's going to be better. So that's a lot of good stuff on that. And well, as we always say, because sometimes we go a little hard on an idea, we appreciate you writing in. That's oh, the totally. right thing to do. We all had oh, yeah. really weird thoughts about scripture stuff you know, and continue to on some level. But this is this is how you get past that. You ask a question and you get some good ideas and you move on to that. Well, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to hear something like these guys were saying sort of out of context. And for a minute, you're like, oh, wait, what's Or to hear someone and, trying to take two or th- three or four things out of context and build a case around them. That, we, so yeah. it seems, oh, this is all over the Bible. Well, and that, that may be part of this, too, is I've, uh, a dude hears these three or four verses strung together out of context in a sermon or something. Sure. And then that's like, wait a second, that doesn't sound like the God I know. You know? All right. I had the uh, privilege just a, a few hours before we record this, sit down with Randall Goodgame. Randall is a guy, he has been a worship leader in Nashville. He's been an independent singer-songwriter in Nashville. Yeah. He actually wrote... Um, 
a couple he was a key writer on a couple of Cademan's Call albums a lot of people may have heard of so he's done a lot of cool stuff and what he's doing now is he has a some a series of children's records called Slugs and Bugs and Lullabies that's all kind of original children's music he's written and now he's doing a tour so he's actually in Chicago and I got the chance to sit down with him and we just got to talk a little bit about his strategy for this particular kind of ministry. So, and the reason we pull, so we're going to try to start doing more of these interviews. It's not going to be, I think we had Sandra McCracken on a couple of weeks ago. This won't be an every two weeks thing probably, but we want to get people who have maybe different perspectives, and us, different stories, but we pick people, ba- I pick people based on what I think you guys as the audience would benefit from hearing. So the reason I wanted to talk to Randall is he had this set of gifts of, he was a songwriter and he was really good at that. And he knew how to write worship songs and he was a dad and he knew about kid stuff. And so he just kind of found his way into this calling of writing children's songs. And I think a lot of, I know I can relate to that. I think a lot of you can relate to that. We get a lot of questions of, here's what I like and here's what I want to do, but that doesn't exist. So I don't know how to, yeah. so not only do that, but he also puts a lot of good thought and theory and planning into serving these ki- uh, kids and families as a mission field. So I wanted you guys to get a look cause we talk about kind of missional thinking a lot, but we can only talk about it in the context in which we experience it, which is in some very outliery ways. You know, it's at the jailhouse, it's on the street, you know, even like a high school lunchroom is so not the civilized world in yeah. any way. <laughs> That's all kind of um, unique. And you may not want to do that. You may not want to go down to the jailhouse. That's cool. But everybody has a mission field. So we wanted to, I wanted you to hear what how this guy custom tailors his cool thing to his mission field in the same way we do. So I'm going to take you to that interview and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more on the end of that with the rest of the question anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none anyone who has food should do the same anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all the servant of all the goal of slugs and bugs is to help families engage in the gospel together so uh, a, a big part of the way that families spend their time these days is in the car. Yeah. Uh, bopping around from place to place. And I know that's where a lot of families listen to music together is mm-hmm. in the car. And Slugs and Bugs is because of the, the high standard we put on just what we, how we create, what we make, the songs we write, and the musicians we get to play on it. Um, it's made to be not only just palatable for adults, but really attractive to adults just by the music that we create. So um, the the goal is for it to be kind of like Pixar, where mm-hmm. parents go to see it with their kids because they got kids. They know their kids will enjoy it. But they really, they walk away going, man, that was awesome. You yeah. Know, if, I, mean, if, if you, I don't know if you've seen like Ratatouille or... Sure. You know, those... Those, those little, aren't good for kids' movies. They're just good movies. They're just great movies. So that's what we want to do with Slugs and Bugs is um, while they're having fun listening to silly songs that are also really well written and crafted, they're also f- hearing songs that are about the gospel in ways that that they might not have heard before. It's really cool. It's I'm glad you mentioned that the songs are well written. They're well crafted because they absolutely are. I was on the Slugs and Bugs website reading the uh, 
the list of accolades for the the studio band and it's oh yeah it's kind of obscene like the number of grammys and aretha franklin's backing band and stuff <laughs> but, yeah there's some crazy great musician musicians on that new record absolutely and, and you among them if you guys don't know randall has a very successful career as a singer songwriter and as a you were a worship leader in nashville for a time i was yeah for our church for about four years so what what's was is there a difference in philosophy? What was the difference in philosophy as opposed to like making your own Randall Good Game record to try to go out on the road and sell versus writing songs for kind of normal church worship versus writing slugs and bugs songs? There has been a really big difference for me. Um, before, my, I was writing songs just sort of one at a time, trying mm-hmm. to make each song be the best it could be. And now I have a real sense of a big a big sense of mission about why I do what I do. Um, so each song, when I'm working on it, uh, I'm I'm writing them knowing that they're going to be parents and kids listening to these songs together. So it, it helps shape how I talk about the gospel. It helps shape um, the, the content, the lyrics. Um, for example, when I am, when I'm working on a song, I know I'm gonna. It's a spiritual song, for example. Um, I am writing about how Jesus makes a difference in our lives, moment by moment. What, like, what difference does Jesus really make mm-hmm. day to day? And uh, because that's right where they are. They're in the car. They're you know fighting with their brother and sister, or their parents are getting fed up with another question. Mm. And so I try to write songs in a way that's these slugs and bugs songs they're really serving a purpose of helping families to engage with how the gospel applies to them right now as they're driving in the car as they're making dinner as they're taking out the trash um as their kids are you know doing homework or or learning to read um so for me having that big overarching purpose has been really inspiring it's really cool. Did would you find you found that kind of that missional mindset, which it really is? Was that a? I'm trying to think of the timeline. You said I think there should be this kind of really good stuff for kids and families, and I'm gonna have to make it because it doesn't exist. Or did it start with writing some songs and then kind of people coming to it, and now I have this audience and I want to do this with them? You know, it was a little bit of both. Okay, the very first Slugs and Bugs CD. What I did with Andrew Peterson. We mm-hmm. did a collaborative record where he wrote about half the songs, I wrote about half the songs. And we had written a lot of them years ago, years before, when our kids were tiny, just. Mm-hmm. And um, then after we made that record, it was such an inspiring process, and people really responded well to it. Um, that we suddenly we got a call to start writing songs for Veggie Tales. Okay. So we started writing. Those. I assume that's like the Christian music getting called up to the majors. Oh, the VeggieTales people call you. So fun. Yeah. We ra- were raising, we had raised our kids on VeggieTales. Yeah. So it was a big deal for us. And it was a lot um, through that process, thinking about, okay, now I'm going to write a song that thousands of parents and kids are going to be sitting and listening to together. Um, and through through that process, I began to realize not only did my gifts sort of suit it, but it was just really inspiring to me. As a parent, the hardest thing about being a parent is um, talking to your kids about the gospel. That's mm-hmm. the hardest thing about raising your kids to, to me because they see who you really are. Yeah. 
they know you and they know that they know you lose it and that, that you've got all kinds of crazy flaws. So how do you then t- tell them about um, how to live out the gospel when they see you as such a hypocrite? Yeah. And it, it was figuring out that I loved that problem. I loved engaging that with my kids, that um, figuring that out and writing songs for Veggie Tales um, really began me on the path to thinking, you know, I should just pour all my energy into uh, helping parents and kids realize that that hypocrisy mm-hmm. is really, that's that's the doorway. That's the doorway into the conversation with your kids because you, you I as a parent can could never be the great Christian that the kids think that they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And once they realize that, that it's not about how you perform, it's that you're totally dependent on your Savior. That's what You need Jesus every day. A lot of times in concert, we talk about how parents need kids, je- sorry, parents need Jesus just as much as kids need Jesus. Yeah. And suddenly it, it ceases to become, all right, kids, you need to know Jesus, and we hope you have a quiet time. It becomes, hey, we all need Jesus. I'm going to mess up, you're mm-hmm. going to mess up, and we're in this together. And for me, that's a powerful place for a family to start to begin the 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 journey of um, living out their faith as a family. It's really, really interesting. One of the things I I've, was talking, I was um, fanboying out on Randall a little bit before we started uh, recording and talking about he has the solo records, which I still love a lot. And one of the things about the songwriting in those that I know I connect to, and I imagine a lot of people did, is they're, they're, they're beautifully done. The instrumentation and the playing and the singing is wonderful. But the, a lot of the songs are really dark in an interesting way. Like, not dark tonally, but there's a very kind of peppy, kind of ragtime, almost piano number about a shooting at a laundromat. And there's a story about a lady... You, you sitting next to a lady on a plane who's having a, I won't ruin the song, but having a crazy difficult time. And it seems like you carried over slugs and bugs, not obviously not that kind of particular angle on it, but it doesn't shy away from messiness. Like you did a, what I would really point you guys to Randall did a kind of added some verses to Jesus loves me. And one of them is Jesus loves me when I talk back, which I'm sure is a, a fun thing to say in a room full of parents and so fun. Catch oh, yeah. Contact. yeah. How do you balance that? You know, wanting to be fun and silly, but not, as you're saying, not shying away from the fact that this all comes from the fact that we're messed up. People who need something. Um, well, a lot of it stems from how Jesus says to come to us, for mm-hmm. us to come to him as children. So when, if you look at kids, they're throwing temper tantrums. Yeah. They're they're totally messy. They're they're getting holes in their clothes all the time. They're completely frustrating a lot of the time. Sure. And how do we reconcile that? That's that's what Jesus wants us to be like, really? But I I think that it really is what he wants us to be like. I think he mm-hmm. wants us to um to be completely needy of him. You know, in our culture, being needy is uh, a real downer. Sure. So, you know, no one wants to be called needy. But Jesus says, I need you to be needy for me. My kids don't ever worry or wonder, are we going to have food on the table tonight? Or, or am I going to have clothes to wear tomorrow? They don't ever get anxious or nervous about that because they know that we provide for them. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I think that the, that the Lord wants us to be that connected to, to his provision that we can throw a temper tantrum for him but because it, it's uh, t- towards him because it's in the context of, I need you for everything, Lord. I, and so through those temper tantrums, the children, they learn about us. Mm-hmm. They learn how I'm committed to them no matter if they scream and yell at me. And so we will learn that about the Lord as if we operate that way with him. So, yeah, I think it's a big mistake to shy away from all the messy things about being a a human being Mm -hmm. um, when, whether we're talking about kids or adults, because uh, we are messy. Yeah. You know, our stories are super messy. Um, But very often it's the messiness that proves our need for Jesus. So that the messiness becomes part of the invitation. It's where we say, wow, you know what? I, I guess I really do need Jesus. And if, if it hadn't been for the messiness, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known that. So thank God for it. Yeah. Also, messiness is a, is a great way to put that. And messiness is emotional. I wonder if that's kind of one of the other reasons kind of church culture, and especially, for lack of a better word, adult church culture, at large is super uncomfortable with it. And, you know, this, the slugs and bugs stuff isn't, it's not, here's a song about, you know, David being a super good guy. You should be like David. It is, it's a lot of it's kind of second person. It is about kind of that emotional reality of being a kid, being a parent. Do you find that that's important to kind of go right for that? Go right for that part as opposed to maybe some of the more not intellectual kind of storybook aspects of stuff? You know, I guess so. Really what it comes down to for how I think about slugs and bugs is I want it to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. I want it to reflect what their life is like so that they can, they can learn something from it and bounce off of it and, and have it teach them something about their, about their own life. Um, and it's all... It's all in a really, uh, it's all pointing towards Jesus is the answer. Mm-hmm. It's all pointing towards that, which is a platitude. You know, it, there are plenty of songs that just say, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> sure. um, and what I'd rather do is have sort of the whole catalog of the, the, the canon of Slugs and Bugs material all together. If you listen to it, you know, cover to cover, you, you come away with it realizing Jesus is the answer, even mm-hmm. though no song comes out and says that uh the first the first line of the song i'm adopted um says i was born into a story full of twists and turns even the scary kind and that's the truth yeah that was my beginning but just turn the page and there you'll find in chapter two how love has a plan for me Mm -hmm. and a great big family and for me i couldn't i we have an adopted son and I couldn't write a song about adoption, celebrating adoption, without also referencing that at the root of adoption, at the beginning of, an ad- of adoption, is scary, sad stuff. Yeah. But because we are dealing with kids, um, we also wanna, we want to uh, remember that kids love to have fun. Sure. They, they, they are bundles of joyful energy. And so um, even though... So we, you have to do both. You have to yeah. acknowledge the reality that sometimes I am a jerk and I'll, I, I lie to my parents. Um, but also, I love to swing 
And, sure. um, and I really love to go pick a flower and bring it into my mom when she's sick. You know, those, yeah. those kinds of real world daily, um, how we really act in life is what slugs and bugs tries to reflect on and then show how Christ is in the middle of it all. It seems like that requires a lot of trust in your audience, both in that, just that the kids are going to, as you say, you know, if you pick up on the overarching thing of Jesus being the answer without having to state it, you know, at the end of every chorus, as some Christian songs are wants to do. Mm-hmm. If you, I wonder, have you found that a rewarding thing? Like, do people get it? Younger kids, families, they get it maybe even more than people might think they do? Uh, in my experience, it has been a great, a great thing. I and mean, people seem to really respond to it. Um, one of the, one of the gifts for me about slugs and bugs is I love, um, I love to write simple melodies. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, it's a great challenge to write a simple melody that's also really attractive and really, that's not monotonous and annoying. Mm -hmm. So, um, within, if you're, if you have a really simple melody, you can actually, there's room for profound truths. People aren't having to think so hard about how the song goes so they're able to really engage with what's going on in the lyric and parents and and kids, I think really do appreciate, um, what smells like truth. You know, there's a great verse in Job that says the ear tastes words like the mouth tastes food. Wow. I love that verse because it's saying I, you can smell a rat, you know, when someone is singing something or saying something that you don't quite believe them. You, you don't know why, but your ear is tasting those words like your mouth tastes food. And I think parents and kids both, they, they, they hear that and they appreciate it when what they hear tastes good. It's really cool. I'm, I'm th- so thankful for your time. I want to ask you one last question here, and we, you can get on towards the concert, which I know a lot of folks are looking forward to. What, what would you say you've learned about kind of your own walk with the Lord from the experience of doing the kids-centered music ministry? Um, you know, there's, there's so Don't much. feel the need to be profound, by the way. No, just, I, no, I just, it's all, I feel like it's always the same answer. I think I just, every day, am, whether it's, um, I'm always just learning how much I need him mm. and how, how much I fall short and, and how constant my need is for him. And I guess hand in hand with that is how constant his provision is. Yeah. Um, cause every time, and it happens every day that I start going it on my own. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll make a mess of it. Sure. So, uh, so I need him, but he is also faithful to be there. That's great. And, uh, if you guys want to find out slugs right? Slugs and That's right. Come on, check it out. If you sign up on the mailing list, you get a free download of a whole bunch of slugs and bugs coloring pages. And who doesn't want that? I don't know anybody that doesn't want. I mean, I'm going to sign up. I don't have kids. That's just going to be for me. Check I'm going to put out. them up on the fridge myself. You're smart guy. And, uh, there's a little time left for early releases before Christmas. So if y'all, there's a slugs and bugs Christmas record. So we're in the we're going to release this I think kind of around 20th 21st December. If you're officially sick of all the Christmas music in every store and you want some stuff that's new and great. So that's Slugs and Bugs Christmas, you can find that on iTunes or slugsandbugs.com. Randall, thanks so much. Thanks so much, man.
So that was my chat with Randall. As we said, really enjoyed having him. Really appreciate him taking the time. He wanted me to let you guys know that Slugs and Bugs has a new album out now. A really cool idea. It's called Slugs and Bugs Sings the Bible. And every song is just word for word scripture verses. It's great. So if you're looking for, uh, if you're like, if you do children's ministry or youth ministry, or we, we have a guy called the Pool House Guru on our Bridgebox service who does the same kind of thing. And we, we do a track a month because they're like really complicated electronic tracks and he's out in the Andes getting inspiration. We don't right. we don't track his movements. He just right. comes and drops he's us the track. Mysterious, but we've had mysterious. a really good response to people on that. So if you're looking for more of that, super catchy melodies, it's straight up scripture. If you're looking if you like you do some children's ministry and are looking for a way to introduce that, here's what here's a pro tip. Here's what we've learned. If you go to church people and say Bible, yeah. They'll say Bible's uh, good. Uh, okay. That sounds good. And then you can use it in, in, in the Sunday school, and that there helps. You so you can find that at slugsandbugs.com. You can find Randall on Twitter at slugsandbugs. We go out with an outro song. We'll give you a slugs and bugs song so you can taste what we're looking at. All right, we're going to jump to our next question here. It came in to our email address from our friend Colton down there in Arkansas, I believe. Colton says, A little over a year ago, I felt a strong call to ministry, and I'm still trying to figure out what this looks like fully. I, under, I currently lead a small group study through my church, and I absolutely love it, but I feel like God might be calling me to more in the future. These past couple of months, I've gotten some more clarity on the matter, and I believe I'm being led towards some preaching and speaking. This is something I haven't been able to stop thinking about, and I've been praying and seeking advice on this for a while. I've recently been encouraged by a mentor to start setting aside time each week to write and prepare as if I were to give a message, even though I won't actually be giving that message because I don't have a platform yet. I was just wondering, what's the process for preparing a message looks like for you guys? Do you have any other advice on how to get started? And before I throw this around, I want to point out that that's actually a really cool idea you got from your mentor there, because I know Glenn actually has given this assignment to people who are volunteering to like, we have a, the way our bridge service works is every week we have a single question that all four pastors preach on. And Glenn has sat people down and said, here's our question. What would your sermon be? Right, Glenn? So why don't you walk through that a little bit? Yeah. I think the the first thing we want to say is a, is a full disclaimer that um, I work with a, a, a pretty serious number of pastors on coaching them on their preaching. Uh, the second thing to make note is I'm generally unteaching what they learned in seminary. Uh, uh, generally, I, I, we're missionaries and we're usually trying to help pastors preach as missionaries. Uh, in other words. A sermon that works, right? And yeah. like people understand. Yeah, it's 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 got to be a sermon that will work with people who are not churched, people who yeah. don't know the, the the all of that kind of stuff don't don't know church stuff. Um, so uh, a, a lot of that is trying to help them find their natural gifts and their mm-hmm. own abilities and and uh, working with their own personalities. Uh, but it is almost everything I'm telling them is contrary to what they've learned in seminary. So I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff, and then your mentor is going to tell you, wow, I'd never heard any of that, and that's not what I heard. And that's okay. I'm not trying to contradict or start a fight with you and your mentor Two different at all. schools of thought. Absolutely right. Um, Which is I'll, valuable when you're trying to figure out how to do stuff. Get as many opinions right. as you can. Absolutely right. In seminary, generally, they, they teach nowadays to be exegetical. It's a $10 word. It's a simple concept. The, the, the idea behind exegetical preaching is you're preaching on a verse so what you're doing is 
approaching being a Bible lecture that you do on Sunday morning and what have you. Um, uh, there are some people that really like a Bible lecture, especially if, let's say, they've been in a Bible study where they've they've taught, or a small group or a cell group, something like that, where they've talked about their personal issues and they want to study the Bible on Sunday morning in the sermon time. It's a little bit of a odd thing, but you can that can be made to work. By and large, I think we're a little bit healthier talking about um, st- you know personal struggles that we're all dealing with in the sermon time and then studying the Bible in a group environment where people can participate and ask questions like they do here on the show. So that's being practical, what what seminaries would call practical stuff, versus exegetical, which is just talking, just explaining what this Bible verse means and not applying it to people's lives. And that's the key. You can, There is explaining what a Bible verse means within practical preaching, but purely right. exegetical preaching stops at... Right. And very intentionally doesn't do practical. Exactly right. So what I'm always advocating is that we're doing both. We're being practical, mm-hmm. and we're obviously explaining what the Bible says. Um, so there's there there's there's a whole lot more on on that. Um, but I I think one quick thing I'll put in there and let these other guys get in it is that uh, we want that preaching uh, to not be over-prepared. We, we want that preaching to not be um, something where uh, we've spent hours and hours and hours on it. Again, it's not it's, you reading from your book. I, uh, I talk to pastors who say, I was told in seminary to spend 30 hours a week on a sermon. I've spent 30 hours on a week on a sermon my entire career. Uh, I can, I, 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 my people are trained to write a 10-minute sermon in 10 minutes. We drill that. We do that in staff meeting. It, uh, they they would laugh at you if you said it took 30 minutes to write a sermon. Uh, but part of what we're doing with this is recognizing that um, when we're when we're talking Bible stuff, when we're when we're we're in this preaching mode, uh, what we're trying to do is to illuminate what it is people are going through, uh, and and helping them find a way to where they want to go. That's absolutely right. One of the things that is mentioned in the question, which you may not even realize you're doing right, which is a great thing, is you mentioned being a small group leader, and you may not think that that has a lot to do with preaching, but it really does, right, Lee? That idea of kind of knowing your people and knowing how to do one-on-one actually can really help preaching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to the difference of what Glenn was describing between, you know, doing the exegetical thing as opposed to doing this kind of practical help. I remember talking to Glenn one time before uh, before I was asked to to preach at the bridge by these guys and just kind of saying, okay, this is your mission field, dude. What What's your advice as I come into this environment? And, and, uh, and one of the things that Glenn said, which was really cool was, uh, you know, if, if a guy was, if a guy from the bridge was going to come to you one-on-one and ask you this question face to face, what would you say in that moment? You know? And, and so, you know, and, and it was like, okay, you don't have time to prepare a sermon. You're counseling somebody. Well, right. what I would do is, I, I, what I would hope I would do in a counseling situation is I would ask more questions. I would do a yeah. lot of listening. I would learn as much as I can. And then an answer would start to develop. Well, when you're actually, so, so what you want to do is you want to max out this, this area where you, you're saying kind of in the question, I don't have a platform, but if you're a small group leader, you actually do have a platform. You have a group of people who are listening to you, whose lives you're in. 
you minister to those people, and then you do this thing that we call earning the right to be heard, which is you listen to them, you care about them, you serve them. That's you finding out where they are. The more you know about where somebody is, the better you know how to help them. So instead of like, okay, uh, we're going to have this Bible verse is the Bible verse for everybody this week, and I'm just going to explain it, and magically, you're all going to have a great week. Rather than that, what we want to do is we want to know our people as much as possible so that we can speak to the specific things that they're actually going through. Now, we're going to use some Bible verses along the way, but if you can see where I'm going with this, the Bible verse is comes out of my Bible verse is aiding me to tell you the thing that you need based on what I know about you and in, in my serving you and ministering to you, getting to know you, listening to you rather than I've got this Bible verse and everybody kowtow to it, you know? And so it's about th- this whole thing is about the, the small group that you're, that you're leading or that you're ministering in. You want to hang out with those people. You want to laugh with those people. You want to listen to them. You want to ask a lot of questions because until you've earned the right to be heard, just preparing a great message and giving it, I really don't care. I just, I just really don't care if you don't, if you don't care about me and if you don't actually know what I'm going through, you could be a great speaker and I just really don't have time to listen to it. That's a really interesting point, Jed. Can you pick up on that idea of how listening and understanding people's struggles really changes the way you preach? Absolutely. Well, we're working behind bars. You know, the thing for us is there's a room full of guys. There's 50 guys in this room and they all desperately want to hear about Jesus. Um, you know, they're, they're not lukewarm. They're not disinterested. And we have about 30 minutes um, to do something. What we would want to do in a perfect world is we'd want to be able to sit down with each of them individually um, you know, talk things through, tell me your story. There's just, the situation won't allow that. It's simply not possible. So what we do is we talk to as many guys as we can and we try and listen for a common thread of struggle. In other words, all these guys are going through stuff, but we're trying to listen, is there overlap? Does this guy and this guy and this guy, is there an element that all of them are dealing with? Maybe it's it's a fear thing. Maybe it's a a, a hopelessness thing. Maybe it's a discouragement thing. But if I can find something that all of them are dealing with, then with that few minutes that the state will allow me, I can stand up and I can speak to that topic. I can talk about what God has to say about that specific topic, but I can only, and it will be effective. They will all get ministered to even though the time is very limited. But I can only do that if I've talked to them first. I can only do that if I've listened enough to have a sense of what is that common thread of struggle that they're all dealing with. Absolutely right. Yeah, and I think if I could jump in there, I think part of what Jed is describing there is being smart about the sin part. Mm-hmm. See, what a lot of pastors I talk to, what they want to do is say smart Bible things. And what that tempts them okay. to do is to, is to talk more obscure Bible verses to try and uncover some sort of a hidden something that's what, and it that gets you, you couldn't pay these guys any amount of money to preach John three sixteen. That's it the would thing. make their skin crawl. Absolutely right. It it because they 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 feel like there's they're not saying insightful smart Bible-y things. The problem with that thinking is the Bible stuff is dirt simple. Yeah. For example, I had a, a pastor uh, talk to me the other day, and he said uh, – w- he was asking me to kind of coach him through the stuff that he was doing. And he says, okay, I'm preaching a sermon uh, this week on reconciliation. And I said, okay, stop right there. I'm going to use a prophetic word of knowledge that I have, and I'm going to prophetically determine in my mind 
what you're going to say about reconciliation. He says, okay, you're you're going to stand up and preach in favor of it. <laughs> I'm pro-reconciliation. And he said, he sort of laughed, and he says, yeah. I said, why do I get out of bed to hear this sermon? He says, well, I got— uh, Because it's church. You have lot, to. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of good analogies. I said, pass. I'm yeah. still in bed. What else have you got? <laughs> you uh, You have to say something to get me out of bed right now. Tell me. Why do I get out of bed and hear your? Don't don't go research it. Don't re, look up in a book yep. what some other dude said to you as a dude. Tell me as a dude why I want to hear what it is. I have people that have hurt me, and you're telling me to be reconciled. It's in the Bible. You go to quote me a Bible verse that says reconciliation. I already know that. I already know the Bible tells me I should be reconciled. I'm not doing. Enemies. I'm not reconciling because I don't think it's good. <laughs> exactly right. I, I'm openly rebelling against God now. By not, by that's <laughs> that's already happened, dude. That that and these are known things. But I can't bring myself to see this any other way. And you have got to stand up and say something. You can't just quote me a verse and that's right. it. What will you say to me right now as a dude that um that uh, about reconciliation that that's useful to me and he said bless his heart he said sometimes the thing holding you back from reconciling with someone who's hurt you is because you're angry about what that action says about you i said now that will preach now we've got a sermon (laughs) this is an awesome 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 insight you're really sort of angry about what this says about you you're angry towards yourself there's a it's it's playing into a larger thing i want to know more about that of course i know reconciliation that's what we're landing on the thing is when you hear this this podcast you all four of us agree on everything because there's nothing to disagree on you say i i'm angry all four of us are going to say forgive the person that's it's, that's in the Bible. It's simple. It's dirt, dirt, simple. But why are we having a problem forgiving? Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Why is it? We need to ha- hear smart stuff, as Jed was saying. We need to hear smart stuff about sin. That's what makes a really good sermon. I think, just to piggyback on that, to close it out on this, the, the best preachers I've ever heard, and I've heard good ones. I've heard Glenn. I've heard Lee. I've heard great preaching here at Bridge Service. I've heard great preaching from my pastor, Tom, down there. Has is more concerned with as good as about the human element. Yeah, the important thing is you can go up there and just say, We all know we should forgive. Here's why you're not forgiving. Yes, here's why your life will be better if you do forgive. Well, and here's yeah. why that makes sense that you're not sure. Forgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah, why yeah. that makes sense totally. And here's a step, a couple of steps towards doing that right mm-hmm. that's what a sermon is as yeah. glenn's pointing out get up there and just saying well the book of nehemiah defines forgiveness as the, the, the no come on dude we, we already that. knew that yeah i already knew that that's not really helping and one thing I, w- I would um encourage you on as you start out kind of trying to figure out what preaching is like is one piece of advice is listen to a lot of it you want to make sure you're listening to good stuff so we have the Bridge Podcast that comes out. There's a good preach. There, Glenn is on that, and I pop in there occasionally. Uh, there's the back archives of the Water Tower, which is uh, they're not exactly sermons, not they're kind of written pieces, but they're very sturdy. And that's Tom Job, that's Lee's boss and buddy down yeah, there. It's kind of radio, but fantastic it preacher. But Tom can flat preach. But here's another thing I would tell you is just look at people you like who communicate well. Yeah, that can be TED talks. 
for me that that was a lot of really really super inappropriate stand-up comedy yeah but mm-hmm. any anything that communicates an idea well you can take Learn your from. idea and put in that but you can uh, not to not to interrupt you but uh, you know really good observational comedy how sure. it l- shines a light on something you saw but you didn't question exactly that's that uh, you're going to use that in the sermon stuff all the time yeah. so whatever books you like and articles you like there's there's Everything is stealable, and everything can apply to preaching that's communicating an idea. All right, so we're going to move on to our last question here. This came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. It says, I emptied my savings account to send missionaries to a different countries and spread the gospel. I helped pay a woman's rent and she, so she could have a roof over her head for a week. Sometimes I give because I like it. Sometimes I don't want to, but I give because I don't want money to become an idol or control me. I always try to help when I can because I know if I were homeless, I would want someone to give. Is there such a thing as giving too much? I guess I'm asking because maybe I should save money for other things like a decent car or my own place or school, and I always find myself where I barely have enough money for myself. And if I stopped giving so much, it would be a lot easier to provide for myself. Is there such a thing as giving too much? Lee, can you start us off? I can. Uh, Thanks for writing in your question to us. Um, we we do appreciate it. And the thing I would say on this is there's a couple things that the scriptures say pretty clearly about giving your money and um to to the to the Lord's work. And one of them is that it should it should give you a lot of joy to do this. Yep. Um that that God loves a cheerful giver is the way the scriptures uh say this. And um I I can tell you from experience you, you know for my wife and for myself for us to sit down and figure out, you know, the the things that the Lord is up to that that really really make our heart beat, that we really really care about, that we ministries that we love and people that we love, it is a joy to give to these people. It is yeah. it is one of the funnest things in the world to say, okay, the Lord has given this stuff to us, and now we get to turn around and we get to make somebody's day. This is going to be awesome. Let's have some fun with this. Um, that's the way it should feel. It should feel fun like that. Sure, giving, it, you know, at times it's sacrificial and all that kind of stuff, and it should be sacrificial. But uh, it should it should be a thing that gives you a lot of joy. If you have moved out of the area of joy and you you are giving away everything because uh, you know. You know, because you think you should, or because you read that somebody else gave away all their money, so you're thinking, well, if I'm going to be a real Christian, then I got to do it the way that they did, which is to give away everything and not keep anything for myself. I, I think that we've moved out of the area of joy. To me, yeah. one of the concepts from the scriptures that's super important about giving is just the concept of knowing that what I have doesn't actually belong to me, it belongs to Him. I'm a manager of what. I supposedly have. And so we like to approach the Lord with this in the vein of saying, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? How much of this do you want me to give away? And how much of this are you going to let me keep for myself? I think, I, I, my guess is that basically no Christians ever ask the Lord that question ever, ever, ever. <laughs> they basically have never said to him, uh, Lord, here's what you've given us as a couple or as a family or me as an individual. How much of this do you want me to give away? And how much of this will you allow to spend on myself? And, and uh, just, a, just a, a wild stab in the dark, fellas, why do you think people don't ask the Lord that question? 
because they are so afraid that he's going to say, you must give it all away and oh. you must live in a cardboard box. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can tell you this from experience. If you were to ask Jesus that question right now, you would be absolutely and you wait and learn how to listen to that answer, you would be surprised with how generous he is with his stuff. Yeah, it's true. And how much he wants to give you, how much he wants to hook you up, how much he wants to take care of you. You would be utterly surprised by that. So I think giving the principles for me is I'm not the owner of this. I need to ask the owner what he wants done with it. Two, I want to have fun with it because God loves a cheerful giver. And the last thing, and I'm not, I'm, you know, the last thing I would say on just a main principle on giving is also giving should be secret. So when you yeah. see people that yeah. are like all over the internet about, I gave away this, I gave away that, I gave away everything I've got. That's when you need to say, well, I don't know why that dude is saying that, but that is, that is, cl- that is clearly the opposite of the way scripture talks about dealing with giving away your money. So you don't want to don't want to respond in competition to these people or like you're trying to catch up to them or anything like that because that is right out. Giving should be joyful and it should be a secret. I think that's absolutely right. This is we're talking we were talking about kind of ministry principles and concepts in the last question and this is a a opportunity to talk about an Uncle Glenn classic which is that the opposite of bad idea is another bad idea. Can you exactly. unpack that for us, Glenn? Exactly right. That's probably been ripped off so many times <laughs> they think I'm stealing it when I'm yeah. saying it. Uh, but yeah, the opposite of a bad idea is another bad idea. Greed is a bad idea. As you say, uh, you know, money being an, an, an idol or uh, those kind of things, that's a bad idea. Uh, you've swung to the opposite extreme uh, of saying, uh, I, 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 I'm making an assumption that I can't overgive. Yeah. So I can max that out. Sure. And, and that's going to be good. And still, the root problem, as Lee was pointing out, is kind of the same issue, which is you're not asking God. You're just doing what you right. think you should do. This is the thing. You're making an assumption. And as you know, when you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you and Munchen. And you can't. <laughs> wow. You, I, I just dare you not to cut that numbers? out. <laughs> I did, but here's what I'm saying. We brought a children's musician on the show, Glenn. <laughs> he used to be such a nice welcome show. guests. Well, anyway, bye guests. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you finish your point before we get the show pulled off the internet? You know, it just—it's in the Bible. <laughs> Is it? Like, it's in the King like, James, like a donkey. Bible. Yeah, oh, that's right, man. You make a donkey out of you and Munchin, okay? If you prefer it that way. Here's what I'm saying: is um, when you you're uh, you haven't let God be sovereign here. You haven't let God be in control. Uh, you're you're uh, you've set up uh, a a religious sense of what God wants you to do, and then you're you're doing that. Uh, this is not. Uh, the goal here is surrendering all of you and your stuff to God and letting God tell you, do this with that, do something else with the other. And that hasn't begun yet. That's absolutely right. I want to go back to that idea of a cheerful giver. Jed, can you talk us through, there's cheerful giving. Another important thing is to be smart about your giving. 
That may be be what we got de-emphasized in this. Can you talk about a little bit about strategy on that? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things Lee um, implied it, and it's totally true. We're called to give, yes, but we're called to be investors. Yeah. Yep. We're we're called to put resources towards things that will have a return for the kingdom. Here's why this matters. We the neighborhoods that we work in are poor at the level of a third world country. Um, you, you may find that hard to believe, given that they're in the heart of cities with billionaires in them. I guarantee you. Well, to that point, your your wife has been to Iraq and Afghanistan, and she said that word for word. Yes. This neighborhood on the south side is way worse than Iraq. Yes. So think about that for a second. Here's why I mentioned that is there's more need than we could ever address. Yeah. There's there's more, you know, I mean, we if we gave money to every person who asks for money when we're walking through that neighborhood, we would all have zero dollars in the bank tomorrow is the way that that would work. But the reason that we don't do it anyway is because it wouldn't help in most cases. People are asking for resources not so they can better themselves, but so that they can momentarily solve a problem today, but it will only lead to another problem tomorrow. The thing that we're always trying to do is put resources towards things that will solve problems moving forward. So if I can put resources towards helping a person get a job, for example, then they're going to begin to have income coming in and they're not going to need to ask for money anymore. That's a great investment. That's a great use of God's resources. And it's a way, way better thing than me saying, you know what, I don't want to have to deal with your problems. You know what, just here's $5 and you go be somewhere else now. The key thing here is to be an investor investor to to figure out what things could I give to that would have a return for the kingdom. Understand that doesn't mean a return in the eyes of the world. That doesn't mean that the church has a shinier new building. Um, That doesn't mean um, that it looks like something, again, in in the world's eyes, it means it's producing ongoing fruit for the kingdom. I think that's absolutely right. I want to close out on that point the idea that what we're talking about is a thing jesus calls says called the parable of the talents he tells a story about a guy who who, a business owner who goes away and gives the people work for him a certain amount of money each to invest for him and there's it says there's one servant who does who puts it and it doubles triples the money there's one who doesn't makes a little bit more and there's one who goes and buries it just so he doesn't lose it and Things don't go well. No it's not well received. But that idea of bearing fruit, thats it's important to be smart about your giving. So Lee gets paid because people give to his church. All three of us here up here in Chicago get paid because people, a lot of them in Lee's church, um, d- directly give us money for missionary support. Here's the thing. I personally, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think I pretty much can. I would be horrified if one of my donors told me, I emptied out my savings account to make this one-time gift (laughs) for a couple of reasons. One, I'm trying to help poor people. The only thing you've done is created another poor person in the (laughs) world, and that's not really helping. But also, I would much – let's say – let's just pick a number. Say, I emptied my savings account for – it was $1,000. Boom, here's $1,000. $1,000 helps. That goes a long way. I would much rather someone say, I've decided that I can sustainably give $50 a month ongoing. That's actually better for me as the missionary receiving the support because I know there's $50 coming in every month as opposed to a big chunk of money, which hurt you. Now you say, I can get $50 and it, I may not be able to, you know, do everything I want to do because I'm going to be 50 bucks out, but I can live a life. I'm yeah. fine. That's better for us. And you give another example of, and to Jed's point, you know, I, I helped pay this lady's rent so she could have a roof over her head. That's a good thing. We're not saying that's bad, sure. but to Jed's point, 
would you be better off and would this lady be better off if you took her down to the section eight housing place Yeah, or wherever you live, if it's any town of any decent size, there is some place that their job, a ministry, whatever their job is hooking people who can't afford housing up with housing, consistent, consistent ongoing housing, ongoing, sustainable housing. That's a better solution for this lady. That's a better solution for you. One thing I want, as we close this out, we run a little long on this episode. I apologize, but it's a podcast, which means a, it's free and B you can pause it and come back to it later. So that's great. So one thing I want to close out is this goes back to what Lee has said in the last couple episodes and where he started with this. If you ask God what you're going to be surprised to find is God wants you to spend some money on you. Yep. Mm-hmm. To go back a couple of episodes, no, something hurt. Jed was saying, sometimes God wants you to have the big popcorn. Dang straight. Right, man. That's not saying that, you know, look, we all are, you know, serving the Lord and doing what we can. Nobody, none of us have big houses. Nobody's driving to BMW. It's not, not in that level, but we all have, you know, everybody in this podcast on owns an iPad. Yep. Cause we all like reading and we like comic books and we do work stuff on it. And yes, I could have given the $300 I spent on the iPad to buy a goat for someone in Africa. <laughs> and that would have been good. But I prayed about it in the Walmart and said, I would really like this iPad. And I didn't get struck down. And I said, I think God's not going to be mad if I had this iPad. Word. And it's had a lot of use. So God wants you to do stuff for yourself. This idea of, again, I will help the poor by becoming one of them is not really helping anyone. Yeah. But I want to. I, I keep saying I want to close out on this. This is the important thing. This is not your fault in a big way because I have, to steal uh, Glenn's phrase, I have a word of knowledge <laughs> that no one's ever talked to you about how to handle your money. Yeah, that's right. correct. Okay. Maybe, I, and that may even be a secular, you know, there's no school class about how to balance your checkbook. Maybe your parents didn't talk about it because they were uptight about it, whatever. So churches don't really like talking about money. Some Maybe some of them for like crooked reasons they don't want you to know, but some of them just, it's really uncomfortable and they don't want you to feel like they're hitting you up for money all the time. Right. So we don't talk about it. It's perfectly understandable. So, but what you got is you just kind of made your best guess, which is totally makes sense. And you made a best guess towards generosity as opposed to towards not that, which is probably good, but there is a smart way, a biblical way to handle your money. And you got to seek that out. That involves sustainability, investing and doing some stuff for yourself all along the way. All right. We hope that helps. If you remember, if you write in a question to the show ever and we answer it or in a way that brings up more questions as we want to do, write back. We love follow up questions. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Remember, you can sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash bridgebox, missionusa.com slash BBLY. One more time, I want to give a big thanks to Randall Goodgame yeah. for sitting down and chatting with me. And the new Slugs and Bugs, Slugs and Bugs Sing the Bible, is out now. You can find that at slugsandbugs.com. And he gave us, very generously gave us permission to use one of that, those songs as our outro song this week. This is the title, the uh, opening track from Slugs and Bugs Sing the Bible. It's a song called Freedom. It's taken from Galatians 1.5. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. And it's nothing to do with say that podcast, it's an emergency how much we love our faith.
freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. If the sun sets you free,